0: Queen's Health Outreach is a student-run registered charity based on the campus of Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Our goal is to facilitate needs-based peer-to-peer health discussions on a local, national, and international scale. This podcast is for those who are interested in health, global health, global development, ethical engagement, and education. Join us and our special guests bi-weekly as we chat about discussions surrounding all these topics and more. We would like to thank the CFRC 101.9 and the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences for this collaboration. Additionally, we would like to acknowledge that Queen's University is situated on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. We're so grateful to be able to live, learn, and work on these lands. Welcome back everyone to QHO on Air. I hope you're all enjoying the spring weather and finding time to get outside and enjoy it. This week, I had the chance to talk to Chris McGlory, a researcher and professor at Queen's University, who provided some deeper insight into the balance of nutrition and exercise. We talked about the importance of finding both foods and activities that you truly enjoy and how this affects your body's homeostatic processes, such as protein synthesis and degradation, insulin resistance, and different diet types based upon your body's needs. So stick around to hear more from Chris McGlory. Can you give us um, a little bit of a background about you and how you got into academia and your specific research focus?
1: Yeah, so I, I, um, when I was younger, I played a lot of rugby, and uh, I was really interested in sports nutrition from a rugby perspective. But uh, unfortunately, I, I broke my leg, so I stopped playing um, but I was looking for something to do, and I was really interested in nutrition from that perspective. And, and I had a there was a sports science degree um going at my local university, but unfortunately, I actually failed science at school, um so so they wouldn't take me. I had to do like an entrance degree to get into that university. In the entrance, so the entrance exam, and it was uh it was only eligible for that particular university. So after a year of study, I passed that, and then I did sports science um, at. Liverpool Joe Moss. So it's kind of different to kinesiology where kinesiology is kind of the study of human movement. Uh, it's kind of broad, but the sports science degree is very much about athletic performance and nutrition and exercise and, and psychology in terms of improving human performance in a sport. And then um, after my degree, I was really interested in nutrition still and studying new nutritional products to, to help performance. And I went from there to my master's and then I um, my PhD, I was again interested in nutrition, so I switched from protein-based nutrition to looking at fish oils and fatty acids in my PhD. And part of the analysis for one of the studies um, was to work with somebody at McMaster called Stuart Phillips. He had um, something called a, a GCMS, which enabled us to measure uh, some of the regulators of muscle growth. So when I came over and uh, when I left Canada, he offered me a job as a postdoc. So I came back, I postdoc, and then I did that for a couple of years, and then. I saw a job come up at Queens to run um, a molecular nutrition lab and lead a molecular nutrition lab and teaching. So I applied and got it. And then here I am.
0: Oh, that's really cool. So your research then, what Um, are you trying to improve?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good question. So the kind of the way that my research works is I have two arms really it's, and to be honest, when I came to Canada, I switched from really sports performance and athletic performance type work to more clinical applications. So Um, The funding streams are very different in Canada and and in the UK. A lot of it from NSERC is mechanisms. You have to study a biological mechanism. And then CIHR is all about health and improving human health. So, you know, Dr. Phillips had funding really related to that. And some industry funding as well, which allowed us to do more of the performance stuff. But predominantly it was health work. And that's kind of where I've transitioned into. So I'm NSERC funded at the moment. And we're looking at the, the mechanisms of how different types of fatty acids and amino acids can regulate muscle protein turnover so it's the way that your muscle grows um and that's in younger people and healthy people and then we're hoping to get some CIR and industry funded work where we're going to look at why you lose muscle when you go through say a hospitalization so for those people who have had a cast or they're injured yes. um for a few weeks if you take the cast off you've got a skinny hairy arm or a skinny hairy leg and that's because you lose muscle yeah and we actually don't know exactly why that happens but what we do know is that there are some nutritional compounds that can be used, or nutritional formulations that can can delay or at least attenuate the decline in mass, which is really really important in clinical situations. So that's kind of what we're studying right now.
0: That's really cool. So the fatty acids that you mentioned, how does it like affect your muscle growth or like?
1: Yeah. So those fatty acids, if you think about, it, so you have um, membranes. In, in your muscle tissue so in, in most tissues you have membranes and those membranes are made up of something called phospholipids mm-hmm. and they basically you know they, they form a barrier a protective barrier to keep things in, inside the cell and to regulate transport in and out of a cell so but those phospholipids are, are made up of fatty acids the fatty acids that you eat so it is the old adage of you are what you eat is very much true like you consume protein that gets broken down and turned into muscle tissue you consume fats they can be used for a variety of things but one thing is to to to, as part of these compositions the composition of these membranes so what happens is these types of fatty acids and fish oil called long chain or omega-3 fatty acids they're incorporated into the membranes of your muscle and not just your muscle but also your mitochondria um, and they somehow affect function they affect what can come in and out of a cell we think Um, it can also affect the expression of proteins and genes inside of the cell that regulate muscle growth and mitochondrial function so we um We're really studying that at this time on how those particular fatty acids are incorporated into tissue and then what are the biological effects.
0: So how could we consume fatty acids if it's so important to have them? Um, Like what foods or supplements would you say?
1: I'd always go like a food first approach. So it would be a case of, you know, trying to avoid supplements unless you really need to, but from a food, the, the recommendations to the key fatty acids are called EPA and DHA. And the recommendations are to consume around 500 milligrams per day of both of those like together. So not 500 of EPA, 500 of DHA, it's 500 of combined and you can get them in oily fish. So you can get them in salmon and sardines and things like that. They're kind of highly enriched there. Um, You can get them in some plant-based sources as well, but they're in generally quite low levels. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Kind of marine based fish oils. Got it. Like switching topics a,
0: a bit, but, um, I feel like students have a really hard time finding balance with, like, just even nutrition. I know myself, it it can be hard to, or, like, I'll go through, like, phases where I'm, like, super healthy and then, like, kind of fall off. How would you suggest students specifically could find balance in nutrition or even, like, working out or
1: physical activity? Yeah, that's a really, really key question we could talk for hours about how to find balance and time for that you know it's something i we talk about you know some of the people that i work with like we, we know a lot about nutrition and exercise yet we we still can't find the time sometimes ourselves and, and, and even then if we're really really honest we do have the time we just choose not to because we don't enjoy it and i think the key thing is we just got to remember that you know we're human beings and we're going to do what we enjoy and that's a, a really key thing in terms of like encouraging people to eat healthy it's if something doesn't taste nice you may be able to stick eating that type of food like food for example for a while but it ain't gonna last like I don't like fish yeah. so that's my problem I don't eat oily fish I just don't enjoy it and I can I can last for a couple of weeks but then I won't do that mm-hmm. and it's the same with exercise like I used to play rugby and you know I hate going to the gym I absolutely hate going to the gym and, and the only reason I used to go to the gym a lot was because I didn't want to get smashed on a Saturday yeah. so it'd be it, it's about doing things that you enjoy so um that's why I personally believe CrossFit has just been such a huge hit is it's hit a real specific market. Generally people, you know, twenties to thirties who normally have stopped playing sport of some kind, they then find something they enjoy. They're getting supervised. It's, you know, it's a community feel, the music's going and it's quite efficient. You're in there and you're out and it's ticked a lot of boxes and people enjoy it and people stick to it. And it's kind of the same for nutrition. Like I think if you can make it enjoyable, Mm-hmm. you know what you're going to eat then and it's convenient that's the best way so it's different for everybody i think some people will do things like they will just cook on a sunday and then you know do all their meal prep on a sunday and then they will just eat for the rest of the week i think that's kind of a good approach for many but is it something that you enjoy doing i'm not too sure so i think from my perspective is you've you've maybe just got to try things that you enjoy and give everything a go once and then maybe you'll find things that you'll stick to so for example uh, i didn't i didn't like really do much well I went in the gym but I didn't do much aerobic exercise after I stopped playing sport and then I just tried cycling and I've now got a bike and I'll I'll go out on the trails as in the summer anyway I'll go on the trails because I enjoy doing it but if I didn't enjoy doing it I wouldn't do it
0: yeah this is kind of going off of that but why is it important to be aware of your diet and the kinds of food you're consuming
1: um, I just well it's everything in moderation there's nothing wrong with having things that aren't too great for you every now and again i certainly do um but i think it's just important to recognize that it you know it, it's very subtle if you're over consuming calories you may not notice it for the first week or two weeks or three weeks but then things will build and month on month all of a sudden you know when you look back there's been your, your daily habits you know you you know it's it you you are the sum of its parts. So it, it, the small things that you do on a daily basis will build up over time. You may not notice them, mm-hmm. and I think the issue is that sometimes it's like you don't notice until it's too late. Yeah. So I would always say some some uh, I would always say just keep things in moderation. But I think for example, people putting on um, body fat. You know, we're all going to put weight on sometimes. We're all going to get a little bit heavier, and that's, especially with lockdown, especially in winter and things like that. But we just have to be very aware of it to make sure that you know when things do come good that we adjust our our diets and and our activity levels appropriately
0: Mm -hmm. it's actually funny because i i listened to this one podcast and he always says like everything has a delayed effect whether it's like good or bad you won't see the effects till probably like a month or three months or a year from now because it's really like your everyday um like habits and activities that like kind of compound to make the one big effect
1: yeah well that's one of the major problems with getting people to say lose body muscle body weight that we have and it's it's a way more complex than simply calories in calories out it's certainly there's a lot more to it than that and one of the issues is, is people use the scales and the issue when you start to exercise whether people know it or not you put muscle on uh especially if you're exercising doing things that you didn't ever normally used to doing you'll start to put muscle on but you will also be losing body fat. And that's a great thing because your body composition is changing. Um, but the issue is when you step on the scale, you don't see a change. Mm. And then all of a sudden, people's motivation to continue to exercise is diminished. But what they don't realize is that their health is improving, um, their physical functioning is improving, and their body composition and their, is, is certainly improving. But that's where uh, whenever I talk to people about, you know, they want, they want to improve their health or they want to, you know, reduce body weight, the first thing I say is get rid of the scales. You don't need them.
0: I feel like it, yeah, just affects you like mentally as well.
1: just very tough having it. Yeah. I think since I've come to Canada, I I mean, I put on, I mean, it's age as well. You get a bit older and you do put a bit of weight on And I did get obsessed with the scales for a while, but then, you know, you get rid of them and, you know, psychologically it helps as well to keep yourself doing stuff that you enjoy and you don't really have to worry about them because you can't really measure what you can do, but not, you know, on a daily basis, you can't measure your muscle mass or your physical health and things like that. So for me, I think it's, about getting rid of them
0: mm-hmm. so what kind of activities then would you suggest like i've always thought like building muscle was the way to go but i know some people get really fixated on like cardio and it could be a bit different
1: My, I'm, i'll be honest my thoughts changed over this over the years but i i my, and i would the first thing i would say you've got to do what you enjoy it's something that you're going to stick to yeah. and you've got to be consistent mm-hmm. you know we for example, if you do six weeks of sixteen weeks of resistance exercise training, you generally only put on around two kilograms of lean mass. Now, you're probably not going to even be able to notice that. So that's the average person. Some people put more on. Some people put yes, but essentially, it's to me, it's just doing things that you stick to. But I would always say that resistance exercise training or or loaded training of some kind should be a com- a component of an exercise um, regimen or, or training program. So whether it's even just once a week or twice per week. But I, I, I would always say that we need to mix up cardiovascular cardio work with some lifting as well, because, you know, especially as you get older, maintaining muscle mass and strength is really, really important.
0: Yeah, for sure. So what are your thoughts on different diet types and like diet culture, like such as veganism, keto diet and like paleo or? Well,
1: it depends what for, right? If you, you, there's no way you're gonna be doing a keto diet and expecting to have, you know, high levels of physical activity, despite what people say, that just doesn't happen. Um, or at least, you know, high intensity exercise is not supported by well, it is supported by carbohydrates. So you remove carbohydrate, you're not gonna be able to um, exercise at high intensities for a long time. So it just depends upon what your goals are. For me, there's it, it, it's nutrition can be overcomplicated, far too easy for me. You just keep your protein relatively high and then you just can manipulate your fat and carbohydrate as, as you see fit in terms of meeting your exercise and your daily needs. Um, some of the interesting things that people talk about low carb versus high carb, for example, and you know, really if it's just about calories, you know, I can't, and a lot of people can't tolerate low carbohydrate diets. Mm -hmm. So really it's again, just what suits you. And it depends entirely on your goals. You know, what is your goal is your goal to, is it to, you know, support high intensity exercise? Well, that's not going to happen with a keto diet. Yeah. um is it to lose body weight well if it's to lose body weight you need to drop calories if you can do that by dropping carbohydrate great if you can do it by doing fat also great there's no real difference between the two when it comes to losing body weight
0: mm-hmm. i know that like specifically veganism for people like i feel like some people don't always do it because of the ethics behind it but how does veganism i know there's that movie i think game changers and how it was really good for athletes and they were pro veganism for being the best athlete can you touch on that
1: uh yeah so the game changers documentary there's basically a lot of false information in that and in the nutrition course that i'm doing i think it's in two weeks we we basically watch that and then go through the claims one by one and debunk them because there's definitely a lot of misinformation in there and it takes out the nuance in terms of veganism essentially what that the the there's nothing wrong at all that I think the different the problem I have sometimes is um, it's a bit of a Trojan horse approach people who have ethical reasons for not consuming animal based foods will then you know somehow use biology or, or, or the, the physical the physiology to justify it as opposed to just come out and saying that like, ethically, I don't think it's right. Um, in terms of a vegan diet, one of the issues is that you may be suboptimally consuming protein. Um, Animal-based protein sources are very rich in essential amino acids, without which you would, you know, you would die. So if you were, if you were put on an island and you had everything in the world but an essential amino acid, you would die. Um, so you you need to consume essential amino acids. Yeah. And the problem with the vegan-based diets or the plant-based diets is that whilst there are those essential amino acids um, in a lot of those foods, they're not as rich as they are in animal-based products. So my concern is that, particularly in older people or vulnerable people who may be protein malnourished, that could be an issue in terms of of not consuming enough essential amino acids in those diets Uh, but i think it certainly can be done and it's you just have to be a little bit more judicious with what you're eating so for example some plant-based sources have high amounts of essentials in some things but uh, some essential amino acids safe um they may have you know a lot of leucine but then they may be lacking in other essential amino acids and vice versa in different plant sources whereas in animal-based protein sources that tends to be a full complement or at least a um, a rich uh, they seem to be a rich source of essentials
0: so to get all of these nutrients and what would you kind of suggest like throughout a day or kind of take me through like a day in your life of like maybe what you eat it doesn't have to be healthy or like unhealthy but like
1: well I mean what, what Why should I eat or what I do eat maybe oh. I'll go with <laughs> you eat. well it depends like the way the way that I would said, say this is in my head if people were talking about protein, nutrition, for example, Mm -hmm. um, we know with at least exercise training, you know, that the maximum gains achieved with about 1.6 grams per kilogram of your body mass. So if you weigh hundred kilograms, um, you probably need 160 grams of carbohydrate per day. So you cut of protein per day. Now you obviously can't consume that in one go, so you can spread it out into four equal meals. So Mm -hmm. then consume foods that would say have around if you were hundred kilograms, around 40 grams, um, 30, 40 grams of protein for, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a snack. Um, but then you have to find the foods that you enjoy to do that. So for me, I just kind of wake up and I sometimes will skip breakfast. So that's not a good start. Yeah. Um, and then I will just have what was left over from dinner last night for, for lunch sometimes. Um, and then to be fair, I will spend some time making a good dinner depending upon what it is, you know, we can have, um, I actually do like steak, but obviously it's expensive the rest of it so i'll eat that tuna i actually i will have tuna that's one of the fish sauces that i'll have um and then i'll just go on the internet and see some recipes and just throw them together not necessarily tasting nice to be honest
0: yeah so you mentioned that you know sometimes you don't have breakfast and that's just kind of um i thought about intermittent fasting i don't know if you is it good is it bad
1: again it's it's so when you're thinking about weight loss you know the even though i said before you know it's not as simple as calories in calories out that's coming from a sustainability point of view but you know when you're trying to induce a a loss in body mass you you obviously have to expend more than what you're taking in and one way to do that is you reduce your calorie intake so because reducing calorie intake believe it or not is really really hard um to sustain over a long period of time this is where and people often fail like diet adherence to to reduce calorie intake is really poor generally um you know people will come up with different ways like you said paleo and all these other things that will try to tap into people's like you know brain is what what works for them and intermittent fasting is one of another one of those fads where um if it works for that person great if it helps if, if you can do intermittent fasting and sustain a like reduced calorie intake to help reduce body mass then great and app that, that can work for some people but for others it um it doesn't but I know that people are really busy. I think some of, the, some of the, I did read somewhere, some of the US generals and prime ministers and presidents, they, they will do that. They will go for one or two large meals a day because they're just too busy throughout the day to eat. So it's not necessarily, I think that's more of a practicality point of view than it is um, health. My only concern with the intermittent fasting is that when your, your muscle mass is regulated by two things, it's the rate at which your, the proteins are being, or the amino acids are being added to muscle. So that's called protein synthesis so how you create muscle and also protein breakdown and they're both going on so in me and you right now our muscles are being synthesized or the proteins are being synthesized but at the same time they're being broken down and it's the difference in the rate of synthesis to breakdown that is going to determine muscle mass so when you consume protein and perform exercise there's an increase in rates of synthesis and a slight reduction in those of breakdown that's why you grow but in the fasted state so when you go through prolonged periods of not eating food and when i say prolonged i mean hours um, your rates of breakdown are higher than synthesis so when you wake up in the morning if you think about it if some people have eight hours sleep and then they eat dinner or well, their last protein meal was two hours before that that's 10 hours and then you skip breakfast and you don't have something to eat until lunchtime you could be pretty much in a um without protein for anywhere between you know 12 to 18 hours or 16 to 18 hours which is a serious amount of time to be to be spent in a negative state of protein balance I don't think that's good for me for muscle remodeling and for, you know, to to maximize athletic performance. I don't think that's the best way to do it.
0: I did not know that. That's crazy. So like if you're trying to build muscle or increase your muscle mass, you should really be eating like when you wake up and then right before bed or.
1: That's my interpretation. I think, yeah. And you know, not to say this is the right thing to do, but I, you know, in the past bodybuilders have been known to like wake up in the middle of the night and eat. Really? yeah to try to offset those losses overnight that's not to say protein I mean, if you're if you have damaged muscle if you go to the gym and you wake up in the morning oftentimes or the next day you'll you feel sore and you know one of that that's a signal as well that your muscle may be damaged so to obviously repair the muscle you need to break down those damaged proteins and replace them so protein breakdown is really important but you know protracted states or long states of protein breakdown um that result in a negative state of protein balance is obviously not going to be good if you're trying to build muscle
0: Yeah, for sure. But then how would cardio affect that? Because I know that your increased muscle mass increases your metabolism. Only slightly. Only slightly? Why is that?
1: The the, the contribution, muscles are really metabolically active tissue. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you think of 16, so you you probably will have around 40% of your body mass as muscle. So let's just say, you know, your weight, 100 kg, so you've got 40 kilograms of lean tissue. Um, if you're going to do a 16 weeks of training, for example, and, put, and let's just even say four, that's 10%. Really, the, the, the overall contribution of that, the contribution of that increase to overall expenditure is going to be not that much. Oh, really? I mean, it'll be there. It'll, you'll see an increase, but I think it's oftentimes overestimated. Yeah. So, um, but I think the point of cardio and intermittent fasting is that what the, the thought process is that um, because you don't have the carbohydrates available, you start digging into your fat stores to support energy needs. So you see reductions in body fat. But from my reading of the literature, there's no real difference from um, in terms of body fat loss when you do um, fed versus fasted state of exercise training. But you you may see some metabolic benefits in terms of your body will then need to turn on a lot of the, the processes that regulate fat oxidation or fat breakdown, which is obviously good to keep them active. Um, and so I think a mixture of Fed and fasted state exercise is kind of good in terms of a cardio point of view, but I don't think that you know intermittent fasting per se is is the way forward in that.
0: For students, you know, I think it can be hard to I know myself, all my me and my friends would go drinking on the weekend or kind of obviously that's like not the best thing for your body, but how would you say to kind of find balance in that? Like going out and having like a social life is obviously hard if you're trying to be really healthy and like make good choices
1: yeah it's just like everything it's in moderation there's nothing wrong I mean I go out and have a beer probably two three times a week at least you know sometimes it could be coming back from work and I'm just you know I don't want to make dinner and I don't you know and I feel like a beer I've worked hard so I'll go and do that you know I just think it's about moderation there's a difference as we know students between going out and having two or three beers and going out and having 10 you know there's 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 a there's a big difference Um, (laughs) and
0: I'm sure
1: I think if you were to to be able to write down the the calorie contribution to some people's diets in terms of alcohol, it can be sometimes a little bit high, you know, especially on student nights and things like that. So I would never say don't go and have a few beers. It's something that everyone wants to do all normal, but um, you just got to make sure that you're not having 10. Yeah. (laughs) Sense, you know, if you think if you go for pre-drinks and write down how many you have and then, and then you go out and have more, and then the type of alcohol you consume is, it's generally strong alcohol. So the calories and that. So to give you an idea, there's there's nine calories in one gram of fat. There's four calories in one gram of carb, of carbs, and four calories about in one gram of protein. But there's seven calories in one gram of alcohol. So really, you know, alcohol is very energy dense, and it's not exactly doing much of your body either. So yeah. it's dead calories.
0: How would that affect then your muscle? Like, would there be a significant difference, let's say, the next day if you had alcohol in your body?
1: You're, so, you know, I talked about pre tip protein synthesis and breakdown. Yeah. Alcohol will suppress pre of protein synthesis. Really? So, you know, if you're going to the gym, let's just put it like this. I mean, we, we all know what the gym looks like on a Friday or Thursday night, right? A of guys doing bicep curls and bench press because they're going out. So they're doing that, and then they're going to go and drink all night and that alcohol that they're consuming is suppressing the growth response to that exercise. But,
0: so there is really no point.
1: Well, I mean, you, you, well, I mean, you, obviously you get a, I mean, they go there and they put, I mean, it may help strength, but I don't think it does much for mass. That's for sure. No
0: having balance, but even alcohol obviously has really negative effects.
1: Yeah. There's nothing wrong with once a week having a few drinks. Is that? Yeah. So I think, like I said, it's all balance. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's all balanced, I think. And that's about to me is, is now what I'm trying to do. And, it's really interesting. I talk about, I kind of find this, this topic because is how we don't even get, like, I don't know the exact numbers. I think Dr. Ross does this research, but in terms of the percentage of the population, it's way less than half the population. Don't even do the recommended levels of activity a week. So all these nuances about the types of training and all the rest of them, we haven't even got people exercising yet. So for me, it's a case of like each morning, just setting aside, even if it's half an hour to just do something just do something, get it done, get it out of the way with. Hopefully, you enjoy it, or find something you enjoy doing. Whether it's a club, whether it's CrossFit. But the problem with CrossFit is, what is it, like two hundred dollars a month or something? or mm-hmm. it's commitment. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, no, that's actually I was gonna mention that because I feel like I've noticed myself. There will be days where I'm like, did I even like how many steps? Like, not that I'm using steps as like an everyday thing, but I'm just like, I probably didn't really like, even move my body, like, at all, really, if it's, like, I'm just doing schoolwork, and I'm just staying inside, especially because of COVID, and I find it's, like, hard to, like, kind of, like, what you said, it's hard to find motivation, or just, like, that initial push to actually do something.
1: Yeah, again, it's it's something if you don't enjoy it where human beings, if you don't enjoy it, it isn't going to happen unless you absolutely have to do it. You know, like schoolwork, for example, sometimes you don't enjoy doing most of the time. You won't enjoy doing an assignment, but you absolutely have to do it. If you're not, if you, if you, otherwise you're not going to get a grade. Yeah. Whereas exercise is a little bit different, isn't it? It's like, if you don't do it, so what, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's that case. So I think you just have to, again, either work it into your day, um, and, or find something that you really enjoy doing.
0: Yeah. So how did you get into cycling and, and CrossFit? Like, how did you find that?
1: Well, I, I stopped CrossFit actually because my knees busted, but the um, the thing with cyclers I found, if I'm honest, I used to, I, I played rugby for a bit and then I just, as a byproduct of enjoying the sport, I kept fit and then busted my knees. So then I, when I went to Scotland, I took up boxing and I, and I really enjoyed boxing, amateur boxing that is. Um, really enjoyed the training for that. I um, know and, and it was, I think it was the fittest I've ever been and I really really enjoyed that but then my knees started to flare up a little bit and you know with work you don't really want to be coming into work having been punched in the head you know so I kind of let that go when I came to Canada um uh, and then you know when I got here and I was busy I was looking for like rugby clubs but the problem is is like you know we don't have that here like you you have to travel a long distance and it just was incompatible with work yeah I was too old to be getting involved in all those combat sports so i was like i'm not doing that and then i just was looking for something i enjoyed so i started to go to the gym and and get back into lifting but i I really just hate i hate lifting with a passion but i did it because of sport before so i kind of would force myself to do that twice a week and then um i noticed that i was putting a little bit of weight on because my you know i wasn't doing aerobic exercise or expending the energy and i just started to run but my knee was playing up and then someone just suggested why don't you start cycling so i started cycling with a, a group of group of guys but then I wasn't fit enough to really keep up and eventually what happened was is I went on a couple of rides and then I was only I was doing like 25k before I got tired then 30 and then 50 and then I started to get to the point where I can go out for a 50km spin and not and not feel it and and enjoy it so I mean that's kind of I'd say an average ride for most people um yeah and that's why I just got into it it's something that you can relax as well if you had a busy day at work you can just get on the bike get on the trails you know and just you know let your mind you know work through things throughout the day
0: yeah i feel like that's definitely one of the benefits of any exercise
1: if have you notice it was weird i didn't you know what zwift is the it's like an online um it's it's a trainer thing basically you you stick you, you have to pay a monthly fee but you hook your bike up onto a trainer and then um you log into zwift yeah and it basically comes up with like a little i don't know how to describe it like a like a picture of you on a bike like yeah. cycling through different places and i think that is something that has helped people through covid in terms of at least keep up with doing something because it's a bit boring just sitting on a bike looking at the wall.
0: Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. Because I, I was doing like before um, COVID hit. I was doing like spin classes, like indoor spin and cycling. Did different than outside doing trails, but same thing. I guess it's more of a, a group environment, and like that's why I liked going.
1: Maybe we could talk about a little bit about for you know the quarantine when you're talking about how people are sitting around doing nothing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think that's something that is really interesting. So if you say go for, say if you break your leg or something, and you put a cast on, it's quite obvious you've lost muscle there, right? You've, you've become, you can see it. Mm-hmm. One of the issues with quarantine when you reduce your daily step count is that there's things going on inside your body that you're just not aware of. So if you drop your your body, your, so if you were to drop your daily step count to below a thousand steps per day, which is probably what a lot of people are doing in quarantine, it starts to initiate insulin resistance. And we've got papers on this. So you start to become insulin resistant, but you don't notice it. Your rates of protein synthesis go down. So you start to reduce levels of protein synthesis. Um, And then there's a lot of negative underlying health effects that can occur with the step reduction, what we've seen, that, um, that you wouldn't necessarily be able to see. And then the downside is that older people don't fully recover from them. So kind of with younger people under say 50, it's not too much of an issue, but we've seen stuff where like, if you were to get older people and ask them to reduce their daily step count to below a thousand steps a day for two weeks, it, it initiates insulin resistance, a reduction in insulin sensitivity, and then reductions in muscle mass and slight reductions in muscle strength and things. And again, it, take, it takes them a lot longer to recover those. And if you haven't repeated bouts of those inactivities or those two weeks of daily step reductions that can have a, they can mount up like you said before you know you don't see the effect it's delayed but they mount up over time and then you know that can have a pretty negative effect uh, over the year so if you think about it you know in winter people particularly older people are a little bit worried about going outside and slipping and falling mm-hmm. so they will they will stay inside a little bit more than they otherwise would do and if you think covid what was that the outbreak was it march when we started uh, getting directives Mm-hmm. So the summer and the, the quarantine restrictions, and then all of a sudden winter hit. So all the people have, have I, I really am not interested, but I'm concerned by, especially with people not seeking help, I'm going to, it's a bit concerning in terms of how these repeat about of physical inactivity, like imposed by the quarantine restrictions are going to affect metabolic health in the long run, particularly, you know, the, 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 the development of diabetes and all the people. So I think it's a case if we do go through lockdown periods, again, is to find a way to stay active inside with like home-based exercise protocols or spin or yoga or something like that you know
0: yeah I'm definitely happy the weather's warming up now because in the summer I would go on walks with my friends and we would do like up to 15k like every day and that's like a bit more extreme but like yeah no because and now with winter it's so hard to get out and now like finally I can probably start going on walks like outside again but it was like a tough period where you couldn't really could not really leave unless you wanted to freeze
1: yeah I mean especially it's okay maybe for younger people as well because you go walk with people yeah. but one of the issues is older people who live alone get a little bit lonely as well and the support networks aren't there for them so the psychological effects I think are pretty huge not that nutrition can do anything about that I don't think but uh
0: <laughs> well yeah. like I think I've heard things like the types of foods you consume, whether it's, and I, I don't know the research behind this, but just even processed foods compared to eating like whole foods and, or, or organic even like further that. Um, I think like, I've, I've heard somewhere that obviously there's different, like you could have like different effects of eating processed food every
1: day. Definitely, was, so one of the interesting areas is by a scientist called Kevin Hall. And those people interested in energy balance, I think he's, in my view, probably the best in the world at this. And he's got some really cool studies. So the argument that's raging online, you know, low-fat keto versus, you know, sorry, low-carb versus low-fat and all the rest of it. And he basically has shown that it really isn't that much of a difference whether you drop your fat or your carbs in terms of muscle uh, uh, losing body weight. But uh, one thing that he did find is, you know, in ad libitum, which is where you get to choose in studies where people just get you put all the food out and they just get to choose what they eat if people are consuming processed foods, um, they tend to overconsume.
0: Really? And We don't know
1: why there's like feedback networks in the brain, neural networks, whereby it's like people just don't feel full when they're consuming processed foods. And it's, they can consume, so that they, they don't get that signal to, hey, you know, like we're full now. One of the reasons is that there's not that fiber, which is kind of like, especially like undigestible, it's an undigestible starch for undigestible fiber, is that it it, it slows intestinal transit and it, it kind of makes you feel fuller, but with processed foods, that's removed, mm-hmm. largely removed anyway. So one of the theories is that, you know, when you're consuming processed foods and you're taking fiber out and a lot of other nutrients, you don't feel as full, so you just eat more.
0: Can you go back to kind of the insulin resistance? Um, I'm just curious about kind of like the general mechanism and like why that's not good for you, just if people don't know.
1: Well, Firstly, the mechanisms are kind of complex um, and a lot of people, you know, people, it's a massive area of research is what is causing insulin resistance at a molecular level, intracellularly, but just to kind of like maybe work it back is, you know, you have, when you consume carbohydrate, that's, you know, say glucose, it it enters your circulation and it stimulates insulin secretion Mm -hmm. and insulin is a hormone that will signal to tissues like muscle and fat to take up glucose out of the system. So glucose concentrations are really tightly regulated in the body. So what will happen is then all of a sudden glucose will start pouring in to the muscle. But in insulin resistant tissues, you know, the the those ish, those insulin sensitive tissues become desensitized to the effect of insulin. And therefore, for whatever reason, glucose is not getting into those tissues. And therefore you have high amounts of glucose in the circulation. And that is kind of, you know, the onset of diabetes or, or the pre, pre-diabetes, at least as you start to see a creep in the amount of glucose in the in the circulation at rest. Um, one of the more basic mechanisms is that if you already have maxed out, so we store glucose in the muscles glycogen. If you've already stored out, if you've already maxed out glycogen c- concentrations or storage capacity in the muscle, the glucose has nowhere to go. So the muscle becomes insulin resistant in a pro-adaptive way and the glucose will go and be converted into fat. So, it's kind of like an evolutionary conserve mechanism from when we used to go through periods of starvation that, you know what, our muscles are full. So, what we'll do is go store the glucose as fat. And that when you go through a period of starvation, you can actually pull from those fat stores to create glucose to maintain glucose concentrations. But that's like an evolutionary conserve mechanism. But now we're in a situation where we have high amounts of food availability. So, when we overconsume nutrients, particularly carbohydrates, it's converted to fat, but we're not going through those periods that we used to many, many years ago where we would go through starvation and we would be required those to, to use those fat stores. So then what happens is there's kind of like a you know a feed forward cycle of negative, like negative health effects that then lead to damaged tissues um, and then full blown diabetes. So essentially the easiest way to remove, to, to, to kind of remove the inhibition, so to speak, is to just churn through your glycogen stores. And the best way to do that is exercise.
0: That's definitely why balance is so important, especially between, you know, nutrition and exercise. And I think that's kind of one of the main takeaways, like from today is that whether you're a student athlete, it's important to, you know, make sure you're getting like your proper nutrients and then also just moving your body.
1: Well, exercise will change how your body utilizes the food that you eat. So it's one of those where I, I think it's, and this is something that I know that some students wrangle with, but I, I don't teach nutrition without teaching exercise or physical activity at the same time. You can't have one without the other because say, for example, if how, say carbohydrate, which we've been talking about, you know, if you aren't, how the body utilizes that is entirely dependent upon your physical activity status. So if you're not if you're not exercising, carbohydrate is going to go to a different location in the body than if you're exercising same with fats okay and amino acids so thank you so
0: much for taking your time to talk about everything it was super interesting and i feel like a lot of people will benefit from this conversation and hopefully find more balance in their lifestyle and just kind of the like why it's important because i feel like a lot of people don't really know that unless if you're super into um, like health and nutrition I feel like a lot of people just don't have a general understanding and that's crazy like also just personally for myself because I like I like to work out and I I value like looking into and researching like what foods are good for my body and I have a, a strong interest in that but I know like friends will ask me how many calories are like you supposed to eat in a day or like just more basic questions and it kind of opened my eyes to like maybe a lot of people don't know what foods they should be consuming or like why it's even important to walk outside for 30 minutes a day or something like that
1: well that wouldn't be like sometimes people get obsessed with calorie count and things like that it's i don't think it's a healthy habit unless no. you you know some of the kenyan athletes in the tour de france they'll, they'll be burning around five thousand calories a day I mean that's they have the problem where they can't physically consume enough food like food to replace the calories they're burning so i think as long as you're doing the exercise and you're keeping yourself physically active you can generally get away with eating what you want
0: mm-hmm. oh that's good to know <laughs> but in balance balance yeah, yeah in balance. <laughs> okay well thank you so much
1: awesome thanks for chatting anyway so yeah and then people, people should have my email if they've got any general questions about
0: it oh yeah i'll put it in the um description yeah. 好的